It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now by a representative for the White House. She is the Deputy Press Secretary for Vice President Kamala Harris. Sabrina Singh, thank you so much for being here this morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Great to be back with you both. Good morning. It, it's so it's so great to have you on, especially because, you know, we it's a busy news week and it's good to just get um, the perspective directly from the White House um, as we look at so many different headlines. Um, you know, last week we were talking about infrastructure. Um, obviously, there was big progress on that. But this week, yeah. I think a lot of the focus has shifted to Afghanistan. In mm-hmm. terms of where things stand this morning, um, there was reporting overnight that um, there are steps being made to ensure that um, folks who want to get out of Afghanistan have the ability to do so. Um, is is there are there any updates from the administration about the process to get those people out of Afghanistan, the translators and other Americans who were assisting in our efforts there? Well, you know, again, thank you so much for having me on today. I think, um, as you said, that, um, you know, so much of the focus from from last week to this week is um, certainly about um, Afghanistan and just what we are seeing um, over there in the country. Um, I know that our um, troops are and I think, you know, I'm sure some of your listeners um listened into the briefing yesterday that our national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, um, was a part of at the top. Um, You know, our troops are working extremely hard to get folks um, out of the country um, for those who want to leave and um, finding ways um, for them to seek safe passage um, to the airport and then, um, you know, being able to to get on flights that are departing. Um, and so, you know, our, our, our men and women in uniform are doing everything possible uh, to make sure that that happens um, safely and quickly. And I have to say that, um, you know, our, our team is working. I don't think they're sleeping. I know that they're working around yeah. the clock um, with our with our um, men in uniform, men and women in uniform overseas to do everything possible to make sure that um the, the folks, the, the U.S. citizens that are still abroad, the Afghans that um, helped U.S. soldiers um, during the last 20 years um, can make it out safely. And so um, I have every confidence that, um, that that this effort will continue to happen. I don't have any updates from when Jake last briefed at the podium. But, you know, I think, as you probably saw, um, the president is giving an interview tonight with George mm-hmm. Stephanopoulos. So he mm-hmm. might have more updates then. So I wanted to ask a, a kind of a kind of personal question. I, I don't know how old you are. I know that you're younger <laughs> than me. <laughs> so I'm just going to take a guess here that the war in Afghanistan probably started when you were finishing high school. What yep. is it like to 20 yeah. years later be the administration that is responsible for ending something that has been a, a debacle? Um 
for the entirety of your adult life. I mean, yes, you are, you are correct in that, um, you know, when 2000, I I think everyone who was, was, uh, around at the time remembers the searing images of the planes hitting the twin towers. Um, and I remember, um, seeing the bombs that the U S dropped, um, when we were going in to, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the evening coverage, I think in 2003, um, you know, this has been a, a 20 year long war. Um, and, I know that there are there are criticisms um, from both sides, but I think what we have to remember is that um, when the United States initially went into Afghanistan, there was a mission, and there that was to hold Bin Laden accountable, um, keep and keep Al Qaeda from launching another attack on U.S. soil, and we have been successful at both of those goals. Um, and so I think the president, in his um, in his remarks. Uh, I guess that was mon- Monday um, or Tuesday uh, time is, you know, something that is slipping by me every day. Um, you know, I think the president made a, a, a very good point. It's how much longer were we going to keep our, our men and women are overseas in a war that um, frankly, we, we had succeeded in, in at least our goals of holding Osama bin Laden accountable and, um, making sure that Al-Qaeda was so diminished that we would not see another attack on U.S. soil again. Um, And it was a really hard decision that the president, the vice president, the national security team, secretary of state, secretary of defense had to make. Um, But it it was the right decision, um, ultimately, because at the end of the day, we are bringing our troops home and we are going to make sure that those U.S. citizens who are still in Afghanistan those allies who helped us uh, while we were fighting this war um, are brought are 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 safely um, brought home um, or 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 taken out of the country um, if they choose to leave. Yeah, I can't even imagine the the amount of sleep that you guys are are getting right now. Um, <laughs> I don't want to no, think I, about that. Hurts me to think about it because we have all worked on a presidential and we know. Yeah how that hurts physically and so i just cannot imagine the the like sustained lived experience in that way so um i hope that you have good um rem sleep cycles (laughs) and very (laughs) active (laughs) um uh, sleep cycles when you do get to sleep um one of the other things that uh we've been focusing on this week in addition to afghanistan is obviously Mm -hmm. um just what's been going on with its Delta variant, right? And and the surge yeah. and also the local governments all coming up with their own plans um, while the Biden administration tries to figure out how to get as many more people vaccinated as possible. There's obviously new this, news this week that um, the administration, you may recommend a third shot for certain vulnerable communities, which makes um, a lot of sense. Um, but as you come on air, the vice president actually mm-hmm. has just gone on uh, a trip um so before we even get to the covid headlines can you tell us about the trip that you just that you just went on um and well, it's and coming what... up actually oh coming, coming up. up it's coming up yeah i'm sorry i misspoke uh, no i no, apologize please, I... so tell us about the trip that is coming up because i think every time the vice president goes out on a foreign trip it's a big deal even if the mm-hmm. media 
writ large as in saying so. This is the first woman we've had in this position. It's a big deal. So tell us about the trip. Yep. So this Friday, August 20th, um, the vice president is going to depart for South Asia. She's going to head to Singapore and Vietnam. Um, And this trip is really about strengthening and deepening our partnerships within Southeast Asia. Um, And that is because these partnerships matter to, frankly, the prosperity and the people and the security here in the United States. Um, And so the vice president is planning to focus on, I I think, three key areas that I would say on the trip, and that's going to be global health. Um, Mm -hmm. We are all in this pandemic together. As you mentioned, the Delta variant is something that, you know, continues to um, concern us here at home and also abroad. And so we are all in this pandemic together and this world is more interconnected uh, than ever before. And so global health will certainly be one of the areas of emphasis that she focuses on, uh, the economy, and then also our our national security interests. And so um, in all of these areas that I just mentioned, you know, the vice president is going to talk about everything from climate change to, you know, our commitment to the rule of law to human rights and, um, you know, defending and affirming workers' rights in Southeast Asia and here at home. I mean, I think every time we show up on the global stage, it matters mm-hmm. significantly considering the last four years that we went through before we had the Biden administration. And the fact that, like, we have actual damage control to do. Like, I remember when when Barack Obama did his first sort of global tour People talked about it as an America is back moment because we had just suffered through eight years of George W. Bush and these two ridiculous wars. And what happened globally under Trump makes what happened under Bush look normal. And Mm. having lived through it, it wasn't. No, it (laughs) wasn't. That's how I But but George W. Bush didn't know. Yeah, exactly. I marched. Like I was radicalized in, you know, in 2002. (laughs) But, uh, you know, what happened under Trump was was insults like he just insulted other countries he, he called them horrible names he i mean right. i don't need to go through the litany we all lived through it so what how does how does the vice president take that into consideration when she meets with foreign leaders and communities in other countries is there is there conversations about what kind of work needs to be done to repair bonds? It's not just about going to talk about how, you know, how great the, the relationship between America and other countries is. There's some there's some repairing that needs to be done. Are you guys do you guys talk about that? It, certainly. And I think you saw some of that repairing, um, you know, with the vice president's first trip when she went to Guatemala yes. and Mexico with the president's trip when he attended the G7 summit. Um, We have to restore our position, not only on the world stage, but just with our allies to remind them that one, America is is going to be a nation that is here for you. We protect our friends and allies around the world. Um, And two, that we stand by our word. Um, I think from the last administration, you know, you saw, I think, horrible things being said about people from different countries, people that you know, wherever they came from, just um, stereotypes and associations that were just not accurate. Um, And so it's really about reaffirming that America is back, um, that America is here to stay and to to be a partner with you. And then I think also just with the backdrop that we can't, um, of course, forget about with the backdrop of 
COVID-19. Um, the pandemic has shown us that our world, our economies are so much more interconnected now more than ever before. And so it's, we have to strengthen our economic partnerships around the world um, because we've seen not only the damage that COVID-19 and, and this pandemic has done to families, um, but also to our economies. And so um, that's something that the vice president is really going to focus on when she is abroad. Um, and I think also the message that the president has also sent um, when he was abroad as well, just in June. One of the things that's cool about this trip is that she's going to South Asia. Um, and in a lot of ways, it reminds me of when, well, as a senator, um, he actually, uh, Barack Obama went to um, Kenya um, and different parts, I believe South Africa. Um, and so in a lot of ways, it's it's like going to your roots in a way um, yeah. for the vice president. I mean, how how is she feeling about that? I know we only have two more minutes, but just how, how are you feeling about the, the fact that not only is she the first woman, not only is she the first black woman as vice president, but she's also South Asian and is going to be yeah. going to that part of the world where, you know, it is super amazing to not just have the representation of the first woman vice president, but somebody who has a connection to that part of the world through her family. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, you know, we use the word historic when we when we do talk about the vice president, and that is truly because she is a historic figure just as being the first woman to be become the vice president um, and, and also a diverse woman of color. Um, I think for her, you know, traveling to Southeast Asia, I think certainly sends a message to the API community that um, we see you, we're here for you. Um, you know, you have a partner and, and solidarity with the United States. Um, and it's also incredibly exciting. I mean, she is the first sitting vice president to travel to Vietnam. Um, that is that is an incredible moment to celebrate for this administration. Um, and so it feels like every day that, you know, I get to walk through the gates of the White House, we are breaking barriers with with the vice president. Um, and I think we are all really looking forward to seeing how, um, you know, this trip unfolds. We're really excited about some of the meetings she's going to be hosting um, in Singapore and in Vietnam. And again, I think part of her trip and part of what she you know, hopes to accomplish is emphasizing that we really are all on this together. This pandemic has shown that, um, that we are so interconnected, interdependent on each other. And so just reinforcing that America is an ally and here for you is something that she is certainly going to do um, when she travels on Friday. Sabrina Singh, I know that you have a hard stop because, you know, you've got a lot of work to do. So <laughs> I want to say thank you for joining us this morning and please come back anytime. Get a little bit of rest if you can. Yes, thank please. you as thank always you. for having me on. I so appreciate the time and, and be well. Anytime. You too. Stay safe. Man, it's it, the, the timing of this trip, the fact that she's going to Vietnam, mm -hmm. just as we're seeing right. all of the imagery coming out of Afghanistan that like, you know, you and I didn't live through the fall mm -hmm. of Saigon, but we know what it looked like. It was right. impossible to ignore those images. And, and as we're sharing the images out of Afghanistan, I wanted to share a perspective that um, I saw on Twitter from a Vietnamese woman who mm -hmm. talked about how growing up in America how jarring and awful it was to regularly, like during class, 
be shown pictures of her her she called them her people um i don't know if she was an immigrant as a child or if that's just how she feels about about her her parents homeland but her people being napalmed and it had never occurred to me like i just hadn't thought about it that way like i i tend to you know i have the the white perspective of like yeah we have to look at our atrocities we have to we have to look at them we have to see what we've done we have to not push them under the rug which is a very white perspective because white people are the ones that need to see that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the people who need to see that stuff are, are certainly not the communities affected by it. They right. lived through it. So as you are sharing these photographs and videos, please keep that in mind. And if you are a teacher, keep in mind what happens when we talk about the historical realities and what images do we need to show? And mm -hmm. can we talk about that before we show them so that, mm -hmm. you know, little kids from Afghanistan are not all of a sudden in seventh grade, you know, getting ready to do their report on Alexander the Great or whatever, and they have to watch people falling from planes. Like, mm -hmm. let's not do that again. Right. Um, Let's learn those lessons and uh, and be be a little a little more sensitive going forward. I wish I wish we could have asked her, but I I don't even know how to ask because the question of like what about the women in Afghanistan? Yeah, I don't know that is, there's an it, answer yet. It's not a question for the Biden administration to to answer. <laughs> like you, it it's this is not a Biden administration problem. This is a well, a it's a problem that I'm sure they're trying problem. to come up with an answer, right? I mean, I, I'm sure they just probably don't have one yet because. One of the things that I think, I think that the, I think that there's a couple of different factors I've sort of come or factors that I've processed over the past couple of days. Number one, the military was not being honest with the political leaders about the status of the security forces. I mean, yes, it is a little bit odd yeah. that nobody asked follow ups when for 20 years they were like, we're almost there. We're almost ready. We're almost ready. We're training them. We're just going to train them just a little more. Just a little more training, which is a little more training, more training, more training. And then you're like, how much training do you need? Yeah. And is this training working? Should you continue training if you have to do it for 20 years and apparently it doesn't, didn't take? Um, and so I think that's one uh, thing that I've been processing. Another thing I've been processing is that in addition to perhaps the military leaders, you know, not being completely transparent, you also had the intelligence officials not noticing that the Taliban for the last 18 months has been negotiating uh, with those security, the leaders of those security forces and tribal leaders um, so that they would put their guns down right around now because they knew this was right around when we were going to be leaving. Um, so they've been doing, they were doing chess moves the whole time. Yeah. Um, and the, and the other thing I've been processing, um, is the fact that honestly, if anybody is arguing that, you know, Biden made a quote mistake doing this, then they need to make the argument for why we should just be in Afghanistan forever, because there's not, I don't see that they're an argument other than that one right because six months eight months a year of more training obviously wasn't going to make a difference we've been there for 20 so right. it's not gonna make a difference so it just feels to me like um there's a couple things that in the past 24 hours we can process 
in addition yeah. to just the images that we're seeing because the images are stunning i mean you don't there's very rare moment, moments in tv i was talking about this with my executive producer um on my peacock show who's been in news for decades and she, you know there's very rare moments where you get images of people running after an airplane ta- a military mm-hmm. plane taking off right from a war zone that's like one there's that's why people are referring to the pictures from vietnam and saigon because that's pretty much last time that images like that have happened right it's a whole lifetime um and so as we process these images we also have to think about the other things that i listed off right it's not just these images um it's the thing that led to those images that we probably should focus on just a bit more i I, like i i know that everything else was going on with donald trump but the fact that the fact that we were negotiating with the taliban ensured that this was going to happen to Afghan women. Like that's, that's what the Taliban does. And if we decided that that was something, an entity that we could negotiate with, how, how were we not setting up this kind of catastrophic failure for the women in that country? Um, It's a question that I think we'll be asking for a really long time, but I, you know, I, I can't even, and we see all of these images and they keep saying like Afghan citizens flee. And it's like, nope, it's men. It's men. All of the images that I'm seeing are men. If you see them lining up at the airport, if you see them, like, it's all men. Like, what what's happening to the women? Yep. And it's just breaking my heart. And I don't mm-hmm. blame the Biden administration for it. I don't even really blame the Trump administration for it. I blame the Taliban No, that's big. It, no, it's but... a lot bigger than <laughs> a president. You know, sometimes I think we give the American president a little bit too much credit. Like they can change, uh, they can change real world events just by criticizing it. (laughs) Like in in front of a microphone, they're like, that human rights violation is bad. And then it's supposed to be fixed. Like, I mean, there's certain things that obviously what the Taliban has been doing to women in Afghanistan predates Joe Biden, predates the American Mm -hmm. presidents we've had, predates the war. Um, But I also think that there so there's a couple of different there's a really good piece in the atlantic about women um it's by a photographer i had on on monday night um who's been traveling to afghanistan since 1999 so she's been interacting with young women and girls in afghanistan since before the war and after like up up Mm -hmm. to the present i mean i guess now is the after um but up through the present so pre-Taliban or pre-pre-war uh, in Afghanistan with the Taliban in charge, post with the Taliban not in charge. Um, and sort of she's been documenting women and girls throughout that of all ages. One of the things that she said is that, you know, there are women and girls that absolutely do not remember what it is like to not have a, yes. to, to have the Taliban in charge. They, they don't know. They act, that's right. not their, they don't know. In 2019, um, had, there were more women in Afghanistan's parlament than the U.S. Congress. Like, right. Let's just put, <laughs> Which is let's a, just that's put a bad that stat. stat out there. That's a yes. bad stat, y'all. You know I um, love a bad stat. Yeah, that's who you are. You're actually really good at having those stats. And I'm like, damn, that's a bad stat. You have a big, good bad stat list. Um, <laughs> but but think about the fact that that I don't know that Afghanistan pre uh, war with us. Um, is going to be just like it was before. I am very interested to see, and I'm scared because I know what happens to women who are self-actualized or women who understand um, their own power and that they have a voice. There are women in Afghanistan who are going to resist this, yes. and I'm afraid for them. Yeah. 
Um, no, but I, mean, I do think we should watch from... this because these women, they're not just going to sit at home. No. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be, there's going to be violence, right? And in, in trying to um, squelch that energy. But I don't know how to contain the energy of 20 years of women and girls growing up with the idea that they can get an education and self-determine right. their lives. I don't know how you squelch that energy other than with violence. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know what how that plays out because that's never happened in Afghanistan before. No. No, I think this is and this is a responsibility that is now on all of us. I don't know how to help yet, but I'm going to keep trying to figure it out. Um, this Large is going to be something that I follow for, who are for the focused rest on of my one life. Goal. They're kind of powerful. But then again, yeah. you know, when there's violence, when we're talking about violence, that's when I get scared. Um, because as powerful as they are collectively and will be, the violence is a threat. A real well, that power invites a backlash. Like exactly. there's a reason why the violence happens. The violence happens because mm-hmm. the women would be successful. Right. right. Um, so, yeah, this is this is something that, you know, this will occupy the next 20 years of our thinking about Afghanistan. And hopefully there are enough connections that these women have made with other women elsewhere in the world that there is a pipeline either out or to a better um, a better Afghanistan for them. But um, but, you know, it's uh, it's 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 all of our problems now. Mm-hmm. Like there is, you know, this is just not something that we can look away from. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening.